Welcome to the Yoga Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Saraswati Clare, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and owner of Yoga Kula from the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us to hear from the world's leading experts on yoga, teachers, doctors, scientists, and scholars. To study more deeply with these inspiring teachers, check out the courses on our website, In this new era, where we have the opportunity to envision and create a new world, the practices of yoga help us to live more consciously so that we can create a better inner and outer world. To help others find us, please leave your comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Richard Miller is the founder and director of the iRest Institute. Richard is a clinical psychologist, author, researcher, yoga scholar, and spiritual teacher. For over 40 years, Richard has devoted his life to integrating the non-dual wisdom teachings of yoga, tantra, advaita, Taoism, and Buddhism with Western psychology. Hi, Richard. It's Saraswati. Good afternoon. Lovely to be here with you. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be able to take this time to talk to you about this wonderful practice of yoga and all the ways in which you have explored it and offer it out in the world. It's really astounding, the work that you're doing, and I know it's having a profound and deep impact on so many of us around the world, so many people who are really suffering, um, you know, dealing with the stresses, the emotional upheavals, and, and you know, the, I know you've been working with um, military and other folks, you know, really suffering. So just a big appreciation up front of just what you've been doing and taking, taking it out on such, on a, such a wide level. Mm, thank you. That's kind of you. It's my deep heartfelt desire to take these out. It's, it's like a mission yeah. that I love doing. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> um, so could you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how when you first discovered the yoga practices, like the before and after, how, you know, when you started to see um, how they helped to transform, you know, your life and, and what you were going through? Well, I feel fortunate. The very first class I took in 1970 at the Integral Yoga Institute, where the teacher uh, started with a little bit of breathing, then we did some hatha yoga, and then we did a long rudimentary uh, yoga nidra at the very end, meditation. And I had an immediate, what I call transformative moment, where I really deeply felt a sense of connectedness, not just with myself, but with the entire universe around me, so that after the class, when I walked out, I felt a sense of deep connection with everything that was around me. And I walked into that class with a depression Mm. that had been plaguing me for years. I walked out and it was gone. Mm. So I had a, a tremendous moment of transformation where it really deeply affected me so much so that as I went home, I began to think to myself, number one, what just happened? Mm. 
what was the practices that we were doing and how can I learn more about that little that I know it would lead me to where I am today. But that, that was really the beginning of my journey. And subsequently, I met a woman from the Far East who had been taught yoga as a child and meditation. And I began doing mentoring with her, plus taking yoga classes in San Francisco where I was living. And again, it had a most transformative effect, both at a physical level but deeply at a psychological and I would say a, a deep spiritual level where it helped me keep that feeling of connectedness with myself and with everything and everyone around me. Mm. I, and I was sort of just interested as a sort of psychologist too, um, being that you're a yoga practitioner, how did that inform your work You know, in healing and helping people um, you know, find their balance in their life and um, deal with the challenges? Yes, again, I would say I feel very fortunate because my early mentor was also a psychologist ah. and I was uh, learning the art and practice or science of psychotherapy with her even as I was studying yoga and meditation mm. teachings. And so from the very beginning, um, I was being instructed in an integration of both Eastern teachings and Western uh, psychology, which I took as a graduate student, undergraduate student, but also um, with my mentor, we were studying the Eastern approaches of yoga, Buddhism. I also met a Taoist Chinese teacher I started studying with and these Western scientific teachings, and I didn't see a separation between them. Mm. Later on, when I furthered my studies in psychology to get my clinical license, I actually felt a bit sorry for the people around me who were struggling to integrate these two teachings where they saw them as very separate. For me, they've never felt separate, although I can understand the different perspectives and how one might See, like Western psychology emphasizes the individual, a sense of ego development, where the Eastern teachings really are hallmarked with the investigation into how everything around us is not separate from ourselves. So that kind of unified field experience where we sense a sense of undivided quality of the trees are us, the mountains are us, and everybody around us are simply ourselves with different hairstyles and clothing. So it was interesting to come together with these two views when I started working with people and groups individually with both the psychology and the yoga when I began teaching yoga and meditation to help them both heal, I would say, and integrate at a human psychological level where I'm helping people become healthy, individuated human beings, friendly with their emotions and their thoughts and their body and their mind, and help them from the more yogic perspective uh, heal the sense of separation so that they really do feel that everything around them are expressions of some underlying essence that's given birth to each one of us in the entire universe. So I, 
I love how the teachings emphasize slightly different things, the Western and the Eastern, but I see them as an integrated package where we don't want to do a psychological bypass or a spiritual bypass as a human being. We, we really want to use these wonderful teachings for a full integration of what we have as our capacity as a human being. That's yeah, wonderful. And I'm I'm thinking as you're talking to, um, I grew up in New Zealand and and studied the Maori culture a lot, and then lived in Australia and studied the Aboriginal culture. And I remember when I first started studying Indian culture, it was like, oh, they're they're all they have the same understanding here of how the earth, um, the planets, um, the human being, you know, are all connected and. Um, that there's a, there's a sense of sacredness in everything. Exactly, and, and we yeah. have that here with our Native Americans yes. where, where the understanding is we don't own the earth. Yeah. Is, we are caretakers yes. of it, and so we should mm. learn how to respect everything and learn how to relate yeah. to things around us, not as objects, mm. but as sacred expressions that, we are here really to, to care for. Mm. And I loved in one of the interviews you talked about that um, uh, man who, a young man who said that um, he felt the effect of the study with you or the session with you because he said, for the first time, I understood my wholeness where there, I had seen other um, therapists who, you know, we had spent so much time in looking what was wrong with me. Well, I, you bring up a really wonderful point because the, you know, the native cultures, the indigenous cultures, New Zealand, Australia, mm. United States, Africa, they have this understanding that everything is a wholeness. And how do we recognize that sense of wholeness and then carry it with us as we go into whatever it is we're doing? Mm. What I see is stress. Um, when people go through very challenging situations, they can feel a disconnection sometimes within themselves or with the surroundings or other people around them. And that disconnection gives rise to a sense, I call it existential anxiety, fear. There's a wonderful statement from the Brihadaranya Upanishad, which says, whenever we separate Whenever we fall into the belief of separation, where we lose our sense of wholeness, it will give rise to anxiety, fear, yeah. distress, and a sense of suffering. So when I work with people, the first thing I want to do is help them recognize, because I feel it's present in all of us. So I want to help them recognize experience and embody their sense of wholeness, which is a very deep somatic felt sense in the body and then we're doing our work as that one person said from wholeness not to get to wholeness and you know so many people I've worked with say in military who've gone through numerous treatment programs for their post-traumatic stress or their anxiety from wartime experiences or military experiences They've all said that the treatment programs are emphasizing what's wrong with them. And as that one gentleman said, that the IRS program was the first program he had encountered where from the beginning we were addressing what's right about him 
And then from there, we take a look at what does need healing, what feels broken. So we are really working from wholeness, not, not to get to it, but from it. It reminds me think of those bumper stickers, um, don't believe everything your mind thinks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was it? Was it Henry Ford said, if you believe it's true or you don't believe it's true, it's right? <laughs> yeah. So I think the mind is such an interesting phenomenon. We really yeah. need to understand it, which is what yoga is about, understanding how the mind yeah. works and not getting trapped in it or caught in it. Yeah, it was such a relief for me. Um, I discovered, you know, yoga practices in the seventies, uh, eighties. You know, actually, actually at school, um, uh, my brother was very interested in Buddhism, mm -hmm. so I met a lot of Buddhist lamas and others traveling in New Zealand, and it was it was such a relief to hear them speak and just go, oh, this is exactly it makes sense. You know, as everything you've just said, it makes such total sense and. Wouldn't it be just such a wonderful thing if we saw this education in schools? And you know. It's true, and I think of <laughs> yoga in general, the IRS teachings, which I, I engage in, as the owner's manual we probably yes. never received as children, yep. and a set of tools for life. Mm. And for me, when I got involved in them, it really was a homecoming. It yeah. really gave me a sense of coming home to who I am and the world around me where I felt my place for the first time in the universe. And uh, as you were speaking to about in the other interview I was listening to, the, the sense of the, you know, the human brain is evolving. And what might have worked in psychology, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you know, was, you know, maybe useful at that age, but we are evolving quickly and there's just really for us to kind of keep up as people who are interested in psychology, you're interested in understanding to support, you know, humans <laughs> finding, finding themselves. And it's, it's true that, yeah. as you say, the brain has continued to evolve, but we're still responding the way we did, say, yeah. to uh, some stressor 100,000 years ago, we're responding in the same way now to the telephone ringing over and over. Yeah. And these practices can help actually, because the brain is plastic, it can change, it's mutable. We can actually bring changes into the brain, into the different structures to help them learn new coping mechanisms, an enhanced sense of resiliency, and to break these um, reflexive, reactive um, movements to, say, a phone ringing or some stressor in our, in our environment. We can learn how to meet it more from a sense of equanimity and a deep responsiveness rather than a reactivity. Yeah, so, so it's mind training or brain training as well of deprogramming or at least, um, you know, giving a more positive view of working with, you know, the challenges or the ways, our perceptions, the shifting of, you know, who, what it is to be a human being. Yes, and mind training, brain training. Also, I think of it as cellular, somatic body training as well, because these conditioned ways that we've learned through our genetics 
DNA, through our family, our culture, experiences we've had, it's lodged in the body cellularly. So we're, we're needing to do practices that are both going to help retrain the brain and the mind, but also help, uh, in a way, eliminate these deep residues that linger in the body and learn how to respond to them rather than continue to get caught up where intellectually I, I see many people have learned how to train their mind, but they really haven't worked at a somatic bodily level. So they have an intellectual understanding, but they're still reacting to the environment around them. That deep bodily somatic experiencing hasn't yet seeped in. And I, and I understand as it was with me, my you know, my first impact was at a very bodily level, but then I had to grow a sense of wisdom and my mental understanding that then I was able to take into deeper and deeper experiential levels in my body and make a deep integration. So, again, we're, we're looking from that sense of wholeness. We want to be able to address all the different levels, psychological, mental, cognitive, spiritual. So they're all being enhanced through the practices. I find, um, too, that uh, there's so many students who are really just looking for, you know, I really want fast yoga. Could you heat the room up? Could you make it a little yeah. faster? Could you cut it down so it's 30 minutes instead of, you know? Right. And that um, for a number of students, the thought of coming to a restorative or yoga nidra class is just the worst um, idea and they can't even imagine that that could be beneficial so I wonder if you could um, talk to us a little bit more about these yeah I would say until they get there and then they lie down and they go now why did it take me so long to get here because you know I love how the meditation I teach I I start often with people lying down Eventually, I teach them how to do it sitting, standing, walking around, and, and taking it into their daily life. But that first ability to lie down and okay to go to sleep even during the meditation, and still the meditation comes in. I, I always remember this wonderful woman who was in a research study I did at a homeless shelter years ago, and... She came out of the first practice saying she fell asleep. I didn't hear a word you said. This is a whole bunch of baluey. And she walked out of the room. And I remember thinking, well, I won't see her again. And yet the next week, there she was. And when I asked for reflections, she said, I never forget her words. She said, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm a really angry person. I don't like me and people don't like being around me. But this week, I've been so full of joy. I didn't hear a word you said last week, but my life is different. So I don't know what you're doing here, but I want more of this. And she ended coming to every session and she did the practices every day by herself with a CD that we would give to the homeless. And she had a transformative experience and I then you know went on to other things but I came back to that shelter two years later as a guest mm. at an IRS class that was being taught by one of my teachers and that woman showed up knowing that I was going to be there and she shared with me that the practice that had been so instrumental in helping her get off the street get back into her life she now had an apartment a job and was on her way 
Mm-hmm. It was a most heartwarming uh, mm-hmm. testimonial. So yeah, these practices yeah. are very powerful. And what I love is from the first practice, many of the veterans who come to us, whether they're from Australia, England, United States, Canada, military, um, because we're working with all the different branches around the world, they all, almost all say, we got our first good night's sleep. And their nervous systems are on such high alert, as is so many people walking around the the streets. When I look at people in the business district, say, where I live, and I notice their breathing patterns, their upper chest breathers, their shallow breathers, their quick breathers. And that's signs to me that they're under tremendous stress and they don't even know it. I I was sitting with a fellow the other day doing some breathing and meditation work with him. And I asked him, just take a moment, relax your breathing, and just suspend your exhalation and see how long you could do it. He could only do it for two seconds Mm -hmm. because it made him so anxious to hold his breath. And as I watched him breathing, it was all upper chest, fast breathing, very sympathetic, cortisol, high energy. But it was exhausting him, and he had come because he wasn't sleeping. So I I see that these practices can have an incredible effect from the very first get-go. And, you know, your your comment, like people want to turn up the heat, turn down the heat, shorten the practice. So to those people, I'll say, great, mm-hmm. little and often. Mm-hmm. So, okay, do a little practice, but now do it every day or several times during the day so that little and often gets you versus, um, you know, big and not very little isn't going to do the trick. So these are long-term practices we're trying to help people really embed and integrate into their life for the rest of their life. And also, as you were talking about the breath, um, the breath work too, I was reminded of uh, one of my yoga teachers. She said she'd been teaching in a prison and um, the people would come up after and say that Shavasana was the, the best sleep I've had because when we're asleep, you know, we have to be careful and so we don't ever let ourselves fall fully asleep. And you just think, gosh, you know, and it must be the same, you know, for, for folks, you know, at, at some level, you know, that. That's well, you, you yeah. remind me of one veteran after his, I think it was his fourth or fifth yoga nidra class. Mm-hmm. He said, I have finally gone off guard duty. Yeah. And his nervous system had been so activated by his military experience, yeah. he had never been able to relax. And yeah. one of the things I've discovered when the nervous system is turned on, as a person starts to go to sleep, the nervous system won't allow them to go into um, REM, rapid eye movement. Right. And it is in REM, rapid eye movement, where we begin to integrate, digest, metabolize the different emotional experiences we've had. So people under a lot of stress, oftentimes their nervous system won't let them get the deep rest that they're needing to integrate and to heal. And so they stay in this heightened alert state all day long and during the sleep. During eye rest particularly because we are encouraging people to go into these deeper states of 
delta and theta approximating deep sleep while they're meditating, they come out with a deep sense of healing, restoration, and they go back into nighttime sleeping because their nervous system has been down-regulated, we would say they're able to start to get those nighttime sleeps and REM movements where they can continue to integrate their life even while they're asleep. And is yoga nidra, um, you know, I haven't really done a lot of research and, you know, when was it first talked about, you know, in the, you know, Indian system, is it, yeah. Well, yoga nidra was actually a person, uh, was attributed to as a person who, if you go back into the annals of yoga thousands of years ago, yoga nidra was someone who was on the side of right, uh, facing the forces of darkness and psychological, you know, anger and uh, greed and envy. Then it became absorbed into the literature, and then it became uh, kind of um, related to these practices of the koshas, these different um, ways that we identify with our body, our emotions, our thoughts, each kosha representing some process of identification, either with the body, our breath, energy, emotions, thoughts, even joy. And then in the 20th century, it was really Swami Satyananda with his first book, Yoga Nidra, that put it on the map for how we began to know it today. And I was fortunate to study in the early days with the teachings of Swami Satyananda sorry, Satchit Ananda, the Integral Yoga Institute, whose root teacher, Shivananda, was also Swami Satyananda's root teacher. So I got very deep teachings in Yoga Nidra from the Integral Yoga Institute, and then I landed in Satyananda's teachings and then went on to develop my own understanding and a kind of modification of Yoga Nidra, how I bring it across as this I rest uh, practice. And for people who don't know, back when I was working with the military in the early 2000s, they actually asked me to change the name from Yoga Nidra to something else because they couldn't relate to the word yoga. So I came up with the name Integrative Restoration I rest. Integrative because I feel the teachings really help us integrate ourselves at all levels as a human being. And then restoration. It restores this sense of wholeness. And I like to say back in that era, everything was iPhones and iPads, so why not I rest? <laughs> and it, it, was, it was so beautiful because <laughs> the military came back and said, well, we can do I rest. Yeah. And then years later, they came back to me and they said, you know, we appreciate these practices, which have been so helpful. You can call it anything you want now. So <laughs> we actually call it integrative restoration, I rest, yoga nidra meditation, so that we can bring it into different healthcare settings, say, where it's called I rest. If we go into a, say, a Buddhist meditation center, it's meditation. And if we go into a yoga center, we can call it yoga nidra. (laughs) For instance, I'm just being approached by um, the Chinese healthcare system Mm. with the current coronavirus epidemic. The healthcare workers are coming under tremendous stress. And mm. so I'm being asked, could I bring in high rest? Mm. Not as yoga, don't use the word yoga, just yeah. high rest as the secular form 
for helping these people deal with the stress yeah. that they're under. And the same thing with the military, we came in as I rest. So I think the word we call it is really important. It gives us a portal for access to people. Then they do the practice because they don't think of it as, you know, going to interfere with their philosophical stance in life. They do the practice and then they see actually such a deep effect from it. It's enhancing their own religious, philosophical or spiritual background. And so they go, I like this practice. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really important. I'm also coming into the Australian firefighters. We, oh. we have an app that they can access to help the firefighters, the families, wow. as well as we come here in the United States on another app for veterans. Over 350,000 veterans now can access these teachings for use in their home with themselves and their families because mm-hmm. we know one individual basically touches a hundred other people around them. So if we can help one person resolve their stress, then they're going to start affect people all around them. Um, when I was um, doing some filming um, in India a few years ago, and we actually got to film Swami Ramdev, who um, mm-hmm. has got a great program. He's teaching a lot of people, um, does teacher trainings for yoga, yoga trainings. And um, his vision, he said, I would love to see in every village we have a doctor and a nurse, but it would be so wonderful to have a yoga teacher in every... Yes. And I just thought, oh, I just could, you know, would love to see that. And I would like to include an Irish instructor as well. Absolutely. Yoga you know, we were, yeah. you and I were speaking earlier before we got on the call, the word yoga often in the Western world but I'm seeing now, even in the Eastern world, when the word yoga is used, people think of hatha yoga, yeah. physical exercises, when in fact, yoga mm-hmm. is really about learning how to be a good human being. As we were saying, training the mind, training the body, knowing how to really be responsive as a good human, loving human being. Right. And... Um you know, just learning, too, from the whole of... I mean, it was extraordinary for me to step into yoga from the beginning and to see all the different ways, as you mentioned, the koshas, different ways of understanding how to work with physical, mental, emotional, all the different layers of our being, and then to um, understand that, you know, these early yogis had a whole different way of understanding how energy moves in the body and then... Um, you know, correlating that, as we said earlier, to, you know, the cosmos is that, you know, there is energy that moves through the earth, there's energy that moves through plants, and that we all have this energy. So um, I just was so exciting for me to um, sort of understand, it was felt like such an important handbook for life to learn, how do I bring myself into um, a deeper connection with my essential self. Yeah, and reflecting on what you're saying, I, I love the teachings because they meet the person where they are and offer different portals into yeah. a deeper understanding. So for me, while I had that first transformative experience in meditation after a yoga practice, it was the main portal I began through was Hatha Yoga, which helped me meet it at a very somatic body level. And then that 
helped me understand the breath and the breath, the mind, and deeper possibilities of the teachings of yoga. So I love that there are many entryways for each one of us. There's no one right way, and yoga offers all these opportunities. We can come in at a physical level. We can come in at a breathing level. We can come in at the meditative mental level, cognitive level. We can come in at, uh, as you know, in India, through service, through love and kindness, and ultimately the teachings of yoga will show us and reveal the whole package that we can then begin to um, have an opportunity to study and understand. And before you were talking about the sense of coming home and awakening mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. becoming yes. conscious, could you explain what that is? Well, the word that was coming to me as we were saying it was yummy. <laughs> it's a it's a really a delicious yumminess in my body of coming home to a a deep sense of well-being and what I've come to appreciate an underlying well-being that's indestructible it's always present and it is accompanied by a quality of joy that what I've learned through my experiences and taking it out into into my life and world is that sense of well-being and joy can accompany me no matter where I am, who I'm with, or what I'm experiencing. So there have been times when I've lost somebody dear to me and felt the grief, and yet that underlying well-being and joy is there helping me meet the grief. Or sometimes I fall into a moment of sadness that feels kind of stuck, and yet that underlying well-being forms a foundation from which I can meet that stuckness or that whatever is going on and feel and sense my way through it to a deeper understanding. So the, the real underlying qualities that I've discovered, which I think are inherent, innate to all of us, are these deeper movements of well-being, joy, kindness, compassion, that the practices are helping us mine to the surface of our experience and then learning how to take them with us, whomever we're with, the conversations we're in, whether they're fun, joyful conversations, benign conversations, or very challenging conversations, to to have an underlying ground or foundation of well-being to me, provides a platform of resilience from which we can meet the challenges that life inevitably brings to all of us. I don't know about you, when I first got involved with yoga, I thought it was going to solve all my problems, and I was going to check into the home hotel and live happily ever after. And little did I realize, you know, it was going to introduce me to the entire contents of my consciousness and unconsciousness. where I was going to learn how to deal with every emotion. So coming home really, for me, has a yummy, well-being, quality of joy and resilience, a ground and foundation from which then I say to life, bring it on. Mm -hmm. And it brings its daily challenges, that's for sure. But yoga can give us such an incredible foundation from which to meet life on its terms. So we stop trying to manipulate life. We really learn how to welcome it, accept it, 
listen and respond. That's, to me, the power of these teachings. And I wonder if along these lines, too, how these practices or what kind of practices would help us if we're dealing with a terminal illness or, you know, we're around folks who are passing, you know, just being, what are the practices um, that might help us to, um, you know, deal with the anxiety and deal with the, the fear around? There are, you know, there's so many ways of meeting the person. So I'm always thinking, who's the person? What's the circumstance? And what's the best offering in this moment? But in in general, you know, one of the best practices is actually learning to listen because within us, inbuilt within us, what I've discovered is we each have a perfect response to whatever the situation is, whether it's in the dying process, or as you say, going through cancer treatment, or depression, or sleep, we all have within us the way to move through it. We have to learn how to stop, turn in, listen, and hear the messengers, I call the messengers, that are within us, that are showing us the way. And we know the way because it feels right And when we're off the way, something doesn't feel right. So there are breathing practices I offer, like this fellow the other day who was under high stress. Because he could only hold his breath for a few seconds, I introduced him to what we call square breathing. Inhale two, hold two, exhale two, hold two. And he did that over and over. And I could see his whole nervous system to start to calm down. And from there, I introduced him to a practice of lengthening his exhale a little longer than his inhale, which creates heart rate variability, health, resilience, and well-being. And again, I could, and he reported, his whole system just started to relax and calm down. Mm-hmm. So simple practices like that of breathing for people who are in pain, sometimes in the dying process, I have them go deeply into sensing their body sensation. And pain is actually a concept. When I have people really go into the sensory experience of pain and peel off the concept and just meet it at a sensation level, they often find a miracle occurring where the pain completely disappears. One remembrance I had of a military fellow who after a yoga nidra where we were doing just that, having him sense deeply into the pain, he got off his mat and he said, I don't understand what's going on. I have 12 years of pain from my military experience, and it's all gone right now. What just happened? And I've heard that many times. And what we're giving them as tools with which to meet these challenging situations like chronic or acute pain which can give them the resources with which to meet it, and in some cases, the pain completely dissolves and never returns. Mm. So again, body sensing, breathing. In the IRS methodology, we have a whole host of interventions for how do you work with the challenging emotion or belief structure, because when people are going through difficult, challenging situations like cancer, it's bringing up challenging emotions, challenging thoughts. So we need to learn how to work with the emotions 
in order to find our way through to a sense of equanimity or with these challenging beliefs, we can often get caught in like something's wrong with me. I, I worked with this extraordinary woman who had fourth stage liver cancer and she came with the belief that something's wrong with me. And as we explored it, it deepened into I'm not lovable because she wasn't able to cure the cancer and she had the belief that because of that she was unlovable. So I had her contemplate the opposite and she said, well, I'm lovable. And then I had her feel both, both the feeling of being unlovable and the feeling of lovableness. And she came up with an incredible insight where she said, oh my goodness, I'm love itself. If I'm love itself, I can tolerate not being loved, and I can tolerate being loved. And she had a most extraordinary healing in that that she took with her into the cancer treatments that she was doing with her liver cancer. And she ultimately succumbed to the cancer, but I stayed in touch with her, and it felt like as she went into the dying process, she had a wonderful smile on her face with that sense of being love. And so these can be extraordinary, simple interventions, whether we're sensing, listening, breathing, working with an emotion, yet have powerful effect on what we're experiencing and and really give us a sense of control, you might say. Mm -hmm. Many of the veterans who come to us, to me, feel radically out of control given the experiences they've lived through. And what they report as they go through the IRS practices, they say, I'm now comfortable because I realize I was out of control. And in a certain way, I am out of control. And that's giving me a unique feeling of being in control. So we see a lot of paradoxes, don't we, as people do these practices that can have a tremendous transformative healing effect on whatever it is they're working with. Mm. And um, so folks, if they go to your website, um, uh, do you have um, recordings and and CDs and products that they can listen to? We do. We have uh, www.irs.org. We have MP3s that people can download that are no cost. We have programs that they can purchase. And we also have now online immersions where a person can go through an eight-session training where they're learning how to integrate the practices into their own life. And then we have an online training for people who actually would like to learn how to teach this and bring it to themselves or, I like to say, to their children, to their spouse, to their dog and even their cats, like Yoga Nipper. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Just a beautiful discussion and and very inspiring to talk with you. Well, I appreciate your invitation, Saraswati, to bring me on, so thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us. Please leave us a review so that others can find us.